0: Chapter 10 part 2 of Jesse James my father by Jesse James Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Leeds hold up part 2. Smith's tale. JD Smith a man whom no one seems to know came to Kansas City last night with detective DeLong gumshoes of the Missouri Pacific Railway Secret Service mr smith has harrowing and hair-splitting details to tell of how he overheard the planning of the recent hold-up in a box-car at ottawa kansas by three men whom he can positively identify the story coming as it does from a man in close touch with detective DeLong, who is noted for being able to supply necessary details when no one else can furnish them is given little attention by those who are given to taking the train robbery seriously mr smith is a man of medium height dark complexion and shrewd little eyes he has a small dashing mustache and a little wisp of hair on his under lip he hinted his story to a reporter for the star this morning in an apparently very reluctant manner with promises of the details tomorrow morning in answer to vigorous questioning he said about the following it was in a box-car at ottawa kansas on the tuesday night before the hold-up shortly after midnight three men got in the car and planned the hold-up. I saw them when they left the car at daylight and can positively identify them. Later in the morning, I saw them on the streets of Ottawa, and at noon I ate dinner at some restaurant with one of them. I learned from the conversation in the box-car that one of the men is a bandit and outlaw from the Indian Territory. He kept his secret. I went to Omaha to see the exposition, and while in a barber shop, I read in a paper of the hold-up. I kept the secret until I was on my way home, and somewhere between Omaha and Pattonsburg, I told the Missouri-Pacific conductor what I knew. I was on my way home to Halstead, Kansas. The conductor telegraphed for Mr. DeLong, and he met me in Hiawatha, Kansas, and brought me here. "'Have you identified the man who is under arrest?' he was asked. "'I cannot talk today. Wait until tomorrow.' "'How do you identify the men you heard in the boxcar?' "'I can't talk today.' what is your business mr smith was asked i am a house painter by trade chief hayes was asked what he thought of smith's story what smith who is smith he answered the man who was brought here by detective Delong, he was told oh said the chief with a look and a smile that meant worlds oh rats september twenty seventh william w lowe a railroad switchman, was arrested by the detectives with great secrecy and hidden away at the police station in Westport, and kept there for weeks, until he finally made what he purported to be a full and complete confession of his part and the parts of others in the Leeds hold-up. This confession was as follows. The following is my true statement of the train robbery on the Missouri Pacific Railway at Belt Junction on September 23, 1898, at or about the hour of 10 p.m. The said robbery was planned and arranged for September 21, 1898, but was postponed on account of rain until Friday night, September 23, 1898. The robbery was planned by myself, Andy Ryan, and Jesse James Jr. We three did not want to go alone, so Jesse James Jr. said he had some friends who he called Charlie and the old man, and also a large man by the name of Evans on the night of september twenty third i left my home about six fifty p m and took a summit street car and rode to the end of the troost avenue line from where i went to thirty fourth and tracy avenue and met jesse james jr and he told me that there was a buggy hitched in front of the two little brick houses south of his place unoccupied i went there and got the buggy i drove around on troost avenue and then back on thirty-fifth street by a little clump of three or four small trees and there i met another rig with a dark horse they drove by me and stopped and this man they called charlie got out and came over to me and asked me where was the kid the old man was fixing something on the right shaft of the buggy that he was afraid would let go there were four of us then that showed up the big man would not get there before eight p m jesse james jr brought the sack which contained the costumes and guns the costumes consisted of overalls old hats jackets and masks this big man came that made five and then came andy ryan which made up the party of six men jesse james jr andy ryan and myself got in the first buggy charlie and the old man and the big man got in the other buggy then we all drove east on twenty-fifth street till we came to the rock road Indiana Avenue is known as the Rock Road. Went south on the Rock Road to a point close to Brush Creek, took the first road east after crossing Brush Creek for some distance, then turned into an old field. Turned the buggies around facing the south and dressed, putting on masks and disguises. I had on a pair of blue overalls, a check jacket, white hat, and black mask. I had on a canvas belt with a big brass buckle. On one side of the buckle were three cartridge holders cut off. I cut them off myself. I had two revolvers stuck in the belt. I had in the hip pocket of my pants a thirty eight caliber revolver belonging to Henry Sims. I also had a forty four caliber revolver which I carried in my hand. Belongs to Dick Spaw. The old man unarmed. When we were dressed, it was arranged for the old man to hold the horses. He said he had no gun. I gave him a little Colt's revolver thirty-eight caliber that shoots a rimfire cartridge, and it was an old-style powder and ball, with a cartridge cylinder. To load it, you had to knock a pin out and take the cylinder off. The sight was knocked off the end of the barrel. This gun was not returned to me. We five went through the weeds to the railroad track, cat-a-corner, and cut a wire fence, went north on the Missouri-Pacific track opposite the telegraph office. Andy Ryan and Jesse James Jr. went over to the telegraph office and took charge of the operator and destroyed all communication with Kansas City. Myself, Charlie, and the big man went down to capture the train. As the train came to a stop, with the air applied, and before the air was released, I shut off the cock at the forward end of the baggage car, holding the air set so he could not release it from the engine. I was then standing on the left side of the train going south. I crossed over the platform of the buggage car to the right-hand side and got up to the engine, and drove the engineer and fireman down to the big man. Charlie searched them to see if they had any guns. I took possession of the cab and blew the whistle five times, a signal for the flagman to protect rear end of train. Andy Ryan and Jesse James Jr. then came up with the operator. Charlie was on the engine with me. The big man, engineer and fireman, and operator went and cut the baggage car loose from the train. I started the engine, and when the cars were separated about ten feet, the air set. I got down on the cab and shut off the cock at back end of the tank and bled the car. That released the brake on the car. I then boarded the engine and pulled out. We stopped at the whistling post for wagon crossing. I stayed on the engine and filled the boiler with water. I got down off the engine and joined the party with the express messenger on the Frisco track. I put a gun to the messenger's head and told him, God damn you, you got a key to that little safe and I want it. He said he had given it to them, meaning the members of the party who robbed the train. This messenger was taking a good look at one of the men with his mask off. His attention was directed to it and he made the messenger about face. The dynamite did not go off. I and the big man got into the car. There are two doors in the car, double doors. The safe was north of the door on the east side of the car. Dynamite was laid on top of the safe. The little safe was placed on top of the dynamite. I took my pocket knife and split the fuse. Then I struck a match and lit it, jumped out of the car, and then we thought it was not going to go again, so I got on the engine. They ordered the express messenger to cut the engine off, and then the dynamite went off and blowed the safe. We went back to the car and found it all dark and full of smoke. There was a lot of silver dollars in a pine box. After the explosion, it was scattered all over the floor. What was got out of the safe was put in a sack and carried away by the big man. I suppose the engine was cut off from the car. I pulled up to the road crossing, and there we burned up in the firebox of the engine all the costumes, masks, etc., except my overalls and belt. We then went to our buggies and left in the same order we went out in. Between the hold-up and leads, I threw away my overalls and belt. We came on the rock road to 35th Street, turned west, and went to Tracy Avenue. There, Jesse James, Jr. got out and left the shotgun and revolvers in the weeds. My forty-four was left there also. This is the gun that belongs to Dick Spa. Jesse said he would leave it in the weeds or put it in the cellar of one of the vacant houses the shotgun jesse had was a double barrel breech loader with hammers and the case found in the buggy belonged to this gun it was a heavy gun we all got back in the buggy and drove to one block of the end of the Home street line where ryan got out jesse and i drove to the corner a block east of stable where i got out and took the lap robe and rubbed the sweat off the horse i went through a vacant lot cat-a-corner about midway of the block i threw away a handful of thirty eight caliber cartridges I came out of the vacant block at the northwest corner, through a gate which I found open, boarded a home street car, got on front end of right side of car, sat on the seat facing east. Andy Ryan was on the car, sitting beside me. We got off the car at 14th Street and Grand Avenue, and went to 14th and Main, and got a glass of beer. We then went up 14th Street to Broadway and parted, Ryan going west on 14th, and I south on Broadway to 16th, and thence west on sixteenth to my home, arriving at home at eleven-fifteen p.m. The old man I refer to is about my height, weight about one hundred fifty pounds. From conversation I inferred that this old man is a relative of Polk's, and lives with Polk or near him. The big man known to me as Evans is described as follows, about six feet tall, weight one-seventy-five to one-ninety, said to have come from Texas, and is a friend of Polk's. I understand he is a friend of Seth Lowe, in Crackerneck. The inducements that were offered to Lowe to make this confession will be shown in the following chapter, as it was proven at my trial. There is no doubt in the minds of anyone who heard the trial that Lowe was really in the hold-up. He was promised immunity if he would connect me with the robbery, and this promise was kept, because, immediately after my honorable acquittal, by a fair and intelligent jury of twelve of the best citizens of the county, the indictment against Lowe was dismissed, and this self confessed train robber walked out of the courtroom a free man. The cases against all of the other alleged train robbers were also dismissed, and they were discharged from custody. This is positive proof to me at least that the detectives were after me alone and failing to convict me did not wish that justice be done and did not seem to care whether train robbers ran at large in the community or not i was arrested october eleventh eighteen ninety eight charged with being the leader of a gang of robbers who held up the train at leeds the arrest created a great sensation of course i quote again from the kansas city star my motive in giving newspaper accounts of this matter being that the public cannot then accuse me of distorting the facts to favor myself and certainly no one who read the accounts of this affair in the star would ever suspect that paper of being biased in my favor the star said of my arrest The arrest of young Jesse James aroused and stirred up that element in the community which is linked by old memories and associations with the border days, when the people of this country were divided on the issues of the Civil War. Old men, with excited faces and eyes flashing with anger, appeared at police headquarters and around the jail early this morning and demanded to know where Jesse James was and by what authority he was held. The voices of these men trembled with excitement as they talked about the case at the courthouse the police were denounced for arresting james many of the people employed there made light of the police claim that they had a strong case and it was evident that jesse james guilty or guiltless had friends there the arrest was spoken of by some as a very serious mistake for it would be bad for the party judge henry calls it an outrage judge henry was very indignant at the manner in which jesse james had been arrested he said to a reporter for the star this morning The manner in which this boy was kidnapped by the police was a damnable outrage. You must bear in mind that young Jesse James is not like other boys. He occupies a peculiar position in this community. His father was a bandit and was killed for a reward. Young Jesse has grown up here, watched by everybody. Many watch over him with solicitude for his welfare, advising him, guiding his footsteps in the right, anxious for him to get along and be a good, clean man many others watched him askance to see how soon he would show a tendency to follow in his father's footsteps many wished him ill i have watched this boy closely i know that no boy in the county has led a cleaner life he has worked and slaved and saved and alone and unaided has paid for the home in which he his mother and sister live it was his wages that clothed his sister and paid for her music lessons no one ever saw this boy in a saloon who ever saw him out late at night who ever heard of him being in a brawl or scandal? Here he has grown up with us, with his father's past to live down, and I say he has shown himself a well-balanced, worthy boy. To brand that boy as a train robber, if he were innocent, would be a crime that would merit hanging. So I say that the police should have waited till they were sure he was guilty, and then they should have gone in open daylight and sworn out a warrant and arrested him, and placed him in jail so that his mother and sister could see him, instead of that they kidnap him and hide him away this is evidence to me that they do not know he is guilty they kidnap him to put the thumb screws upon him in secret and try and extort something from him that is unlawful and unfair chief hayes said this afternoon that jesse james was not even locked up last night he was kept in a well furnished room and was allowed to telephone to his mother and to his friends the chief said he had talked very little to him about the case during the night had a right to kill the officers. Finis C. Farr, lawyer for Jesse James, said, The grand jury has been in session for weeks. If the police have evidence against the boy, why didn't they have him indicted? Jesse knew they were shadowing him. He had no intention of running away. He was tending his cigar stand in the courthouse when he was kidnapped. Why did the police spirit him away, unless it was to bulldoze and browbeat him into saying something that would hurt him? That is the Pinkerton way of doing things. It was the Pinkertons who threw the bomb into the house of this boy's grandmother and blew her arm off and killed her baby. The Pinkertons hate the whole James family. But I'll tell you, they can't kidnap people in this community with impunity, no matter whether they are train robbers or not. Jesse had a right to kill those officers who took him without a warrant, and he ought to have done it. R. L. Yeager as his lawyer R. L. Yeager, a lawyer and president of the school board, went to see Chief Hayes this morning, and demanded that Jesse James be released within an hour. Mr. Yeager said, I have been employed to defend Jesse James, who was kidnapped by the police unlawfully. He must be released or properly apprehended and held. Ex-Governor T. T. Crittenden said, The arrest of Jesse James is a greater crime than train robbery. If I were governor, I would have the men who arrested him indicted the star said of my arrest upon this day jesse james's good record jesse james's friends and the young man has many some of them among the responsible citizens of the town are loath to believe the suspicions gathering about him he has always been known as a steady industrious and home-loving youth fond of his mother and willing to be guided by her wishes to his mother any suggestion that jesse has been guilty of wrong will come as a heavy blow the same may be said of his grandmother the aged mrs samuels who lives near kearney mrs samuels lives in talking and thinking of her boy jesse and jesse jr she idolizes but although her son was a bandit she would not have jesse jr go the same way jesse never has looked upon his father as the criminal that the world pictures him yet the fact that there is a stain upon his father's name has always served as a governor in his actions his employers liked him and always spoke in the highest terms of his steadiness and unremitting application to duty they say too that during the several years he was stocktaker in the cured meat department he never was caught in a mistake his salary was not large but it sufficed for the modest needs of the family of three and by careful economy permitted the saving of the money that paid for the home at thirty four o two tracy avenue Later on in the day, I was admitted to bond in the sum of $2,500 furnished by E. F. Sweeney, cashier of the First National Bank and Finnis C. Farr. End of chapter 10